Morning Hope. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Really glad that we can worship together uh, here and for those who are joining us online. Thankful that we can listen with faith to God's word. Luke 19 is a familiar passage. I think we know a couple things uh, about it. There's this small guy and he um, climbed a tree and uh, Jesus went to his house. Um, Today, I'm excited to look beyond the children's story view into this passage and look into the uh, depth of the beauty of what this shows about the man from Nazareth, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So let's read this together. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 10. This is God's word. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, today we want to answer the question, find an answer to the question that Zacchaeus asked. He wanted to know who this Jesus is. Who is Jesus? I think we want to say it this way. What is Jesus all about? Now, this is an important question to ask. And the characters in this story are going to represent two types of people that kind of may allow us to find um, ourselves in the story today. The first type of person is the Zacchaeus type of person. The second type of person is the crowds. Now, everyone uh, in any generation throughout all of time has had to grapple with a couple questions to figure out how they're supposed to live this life here and now. Every soul in any place in any generation has have to ask questions like, why are we here? Um, what's my purpose for life? Um, uh, what's right from wrong? What is the morality that is woven through our lives? And who gets a say? Who has the authority in my life? Why are we here? What's right from wrong? Who gets a say? And remember, there's two types of people who are asking questions like this in the story today. And there's the Zacchaeus type of person, and maybe that's you. The Zacchaeus type of person has put all your hopes, all your dreams, all your joy, all your meaning, all your comfort, all your security into getting to the top. Top your class, top your fitness, top your workforce. And whether you're still at the top, whether you're at the top or whether you're still reaching for the top, a lot of us, like Zacchaeus, can come to a place where we stop and we forget, why did I start climbing in the first place? And maybe that's you. 
The other type of person in this story that you might find yourself in is the crowds. You're following Jesus because you're around people that are following Jesus, but you're not sure really why you're following Jesus. And you're happy being around Jesus as long as Jesus makes you comfortable until Jesus starts acting like Jesus and that makes you cringy and uncomfortable and you give yourself a little distance from Jesus. All of us are trying to answer the same questions. Why are we here? What's right from wrong? Who gets a say? Luke 9, verse 1 to 10, answers all of these questions by answering the questions that Gius is asking. What is Jesus all about? Today, we're going to see two hints that allow us to find one answer. Two hints to the question that will allow us to find one answer. The first hint is seen in the way that Jesus responds to Zacchaeus when he looks for him. Verse 5 to 7, look at there. Zacchaeus is up in the tree, verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Here's the first hint. Jesus is perplexingly scandalous. See, he reaches to this town, Jericho, because he's on a long journey from a city in the north of Israel called Capernaum to the south of Israel to his destination, Jerusalem. And Jesus knows what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. And he's trying to tell his disciples three times in the Gospel of Luke. From Luke 9 to Luke 19, he gives his disciples a clue. When I get to Jerusalem, the Son of Man will be betrayed. The Son of Man will be arrested, and you will be sent off to the Gentiles and killed. And his disciples are like, what? Luke 9 to Luke 19 is a road trip. And as he's going, stopping by town to town, as was his custom, he would need uh, like an Airbnb. But you don't have an Airbnb. So his custom, as he taught his disciples to do in Luke chapter 10, was to find a household, one household in all of the city, and stay in that household and let them provide your room and boarding as long as you're in that city. And then when you go to a new town, you find a new place. So he finds Zacchaeus, and he's looking for room and board. And of all the households he could have picked in all of Jericho, Jericho's a pretty big city. It's not like the big city, like like. Uh, 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 Jerusalem, but it's not like a small little town city, a rural city like you grew up in. It's like a medium size. Maybe like there's, there's Toronto and there's Uxbridge and there's Markham, right? So that's maybe like what Jericho is like. And of all of the people and all of the households and all of Jericho, he picks Zacchaeus. He picked the household of a chief tax collector. See, in this first century society, the rich got respect. Maybe that's similar in our society too. The conventional belief of their time was that wealth was a sign of God's blessing and God's approval in their lives. If you had money, you had a greater sense of dignity in your own eyes and you had a greater sense of dignity in the eyes of your peers. But Zacchaeus, who we know was a tax collector and who's rich, he's evidently doesn't have a lot of dignity in the eyes of his peers, does he? They see Jesus pick him, and they're like, him? Grumbling. 
he, they don't think he deserves that privilege. See, Zacchaeus represented everything a Jewish person in the first century stood against. He was, was a Jewish person. He was an Israelite, but he was a tax collector. That was his job. He had the force of the Roman oppressive foreign government behind him to tax the Jewish people. God promised that the Israelites would be their own nation with their own king who would prosper forever and they would be a light to the other nations. But a foreign oppressive nation was ruling over them. And not only that, Zacchaeus was the one financing this oppressive nation and he was stealing from everyone and everyone knew it. And it was this unspoken thing. Rome set the tax, but only the tax collectors knew what the taxes were. But everyone knew that the tax collectors weren't telling the real price. And they kind of jacked it up a little bit and were skimming off the top and put it in their own pocket. And everyone knew it. So this guy represents everything they stand against. Betraying his own heritage, robbing his own countrymen. Jesus picks this guy? And they say that he's the chief tax collector. Chief tax collector probably doesn't mean like he was like the boss tax collector and a bunch of other people reported to him. It probably means the same thing that Paul meant, the Apostle Paul, when he called himself the chief sinners. Not that he was like the boss sinner and other sinners reported to him, but like, no, he was the worst of the worst of sinners. Everyone in Jericho knew. Zacchaeus is the worst of the worst that represents everything that we're against and Jesus should be against and you picked him? So when Zacchaeus is picked, he's pretty overwhelmed. He throws his arms up and he's like, wow, me? But everyone else folds their arms in and they're like, what? Him? Jesus is perplexingly scandalous. Why would Jesus get his hands muddy with a dirty sinner like Zacchaeus? You know, today, religious people have a bad rap of doing this kind of same thing, too. And it's the reason that a lot of people, like, aren't interested in Jesus and don't care what Jesus is all about because those people who say they're following Jesus give him a pretty bad name. Religious people can judgmentally believe that others have less dignity than them because they haven't reached their level of morality. And when they judgmentally look down at others, they self-righteously devalue the humanity of others, they diminish the dignity of others, and they discard their humanity because they don't level up to the righteousness that they've got. And maybe you've done this to others. I know in my mind that I'm guilty of that. They passively, aggressively say things like, oh, you watch that, okay. You re- you're really going to wear that? You know, on the other hand, secular people can do this too. But it's not about measuring up and to the level of morality. We can diminish and devalue and discard others' dignity Because they don't measure up to the level of utility that we want out of them. They're not good enough. And you're dispensable. 
We're told if you can't give the A-plus performance that I want in my business, that I want in romance, that I want in my study, study group, there's someone else in line, and I can put you to the side. This is pretty, pretty rampant in, in secular culture. This is the type of approach in workplace environments that is being pioneered by companies like Netflix. In the name of productivity and talent acquisition, they will dispose of their employees immediately if they don't think they're worth keeping. This is the design language that's built into our dating apps like Tinder and others that can judge someone's humanity by outward attraction with a mere swipe of your thumb. This is the fear that young people face when they worry about getting into the right school because they've bought into an idea and convinced themselves that their marks in the 10th grade could determine their future for the next 10 years. We do this everywhere. We judge our dignity based on our morality level or our utility level. And if you don't level up, you're discarded. All of this, and believe me, I feel this, and maybe you do too, all of this in our culture, whether church or work or school, makes for high levels of anxiety, low levels of self-esteem, because if I can't uh, perform... I could be put on the shelf. That's what religious people can do. That's what secular people can do. What about Jesus? What is Jesus all about? Jesus has a unique pattern of seeking after those who religious people and secular people will easily cast out. He seeks those others look over even if it's scandalous, and it certainly was in that culture. Now, Jesus doesn't avoid the reality of Zacchaeus' wrongdoing. He was clearly, undeniably a liar and a thief, but Jesus didn't diminish his dignity even through his guilt. In Jesus' kindness, he saw Zacchaeus as he was, full of sin, full of shame. In Jesus' love, he sees you as you are, full of sin and full of shame. But he doesn't diminish or disregard your dignity as made in the image of God. He still accepted him as he was. And Christ, in his love, not only sees our sin and shame, but remember where Jesus was going, passing through to Jericho. He was going to Jerusalem. He was going to the cross. He not only sees your sin and shame, he willingly chose to suffer the full extent of our sin and our shame in our place. That's what Jesus is about. That's what the cross is. Not a shiny piece of religious jewelry, but a shame-filled instrument of torture for guilty sinners. But Jesus was innocent. He did no wrong. He was innocent, yet he willingly chose to bore the suffering and the shame, exposed and naked and murdered. He suffered the full extent of my sin and my shame that I deserved on the cross. Look to the cross, and you can see Christ's kindness. Believe in his love, 
And while other people might overlook you and other people might shame you and other people might diminish your dignity and devalue your humanity and not treat you the way that they would be want to be treated, even though Christ sees everything you've done and everything you try to hide, he sees you as you are, accepts you in your sin, suffers for your sin so that you can be cleared and released of the guilt and the shame of your sin. Jesus is perplexingly scandalous. Others may look at what you've done and say, you're stained. Jesus speaks up and proclaims, you're clean. Put your faith in him. He defines who we are. He is the true human. He is the lamb of God who died in our place. But to religious people, man, this is perplexingly scandalous. Like Zacchaeus? He doesn't deserve that. To religious people, this is perplexingly scandalous. But to those who know they need it, it's radically transformative. This is the second hint as we get to the answer of the question, what is Jesus all about? Jesus is perplexingly scandalous. He's also radically transformative. Look at verse 8 and 9. This is Zacchaeus' response to the kindness of Jesus. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you're going to follow Jesus, he expects a lot out of you. Like, a lot. His kindness is, it's transformative. But it's radical. Listen to Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and sisters and brothers, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's pretty radical. Luke 9 verse 62 talks about the commitment of following Jesus. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Yet when we see Zacchaeus' response and what he's willing to give up to find Jesus, we see two words, all in. Giving half of his net worth away to the poor is a massive, massive act of generosity. He was rich, but his priorities changed. He was rich and used to defraud people, but now he saw what Jesus loved. And he loved Christ and loved what he loved. Not for his own gain, but for the good of others. And then he also said he was going to restore Anyone he defrauded of anything fourfold, that's pretty remarkable. There was actually defined legal requirements for thieves. If you were found guilty, Leviticus 6.25 says that you were required to restore back the full amount of what you uh, stole plus 20%. That was the restitution that needed to happen by the law for justice to be served. But he goes way beyond the justice that meets the bare minimum. 
But because he's received the kindness of Jesus, he wants to extravagantly show that to others as well. And 120% isn't enough. He's willing to go 400% to anyone he defrauded. Jericho is a big city. Every adult is paying tax. He's like defrauding everyone. And is willing to give that back. Radically transformative. And Jesus, when he sees this, he knows... he says that this radical transformation demonstrates the true dignity of his identity as a son of Abraham. A son, uh, Abraham is the great father of Israel and the father of the Christian faith. Jesus is saying that Zacchaeus is no longer a cursed outsider from the family, but a blessed insider with a seat at the table. And this is what Jesus calls salvation being brought from the outside to the inside, being welcomed as one who belongs and seeing a radical transformation that completely reorients everything you thought life was about. What Zacchaeus thought would be his source of dignity and wealth actually became the source of his shame. He thought being a tax collector, getting rich, because wealth was respectable in the eyes of his peers, he thought he'd get dignity out of it. Because of the way that he did it, the basis for what he thought would give him dignity was the source of his shame. He bought into a counterfeit, and he needed to be rescued from it. There's not a lot of traffic in malls right now. I mean, unless... Unless you were at Yorkdale the other day before, on Black Friday, before the lockdown happened, and I heard it was like crazy busy. Not a lot of traffic on malls right now, but I learned not too long ago but that there are some malls in Markham that have a certain reputation. And I kind of find this a little funny. I'm not sure if it should be funny, but I just kind of do, all right? I, I found some interesting articles online not too long recently. There's a certain mall... Um, certain malls that are really well known for a certain type of product, counterfeit products. Maybe you've been to these. Maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you've, you've taken advantage of this a little bit. In 2018, the FBI, FBI, all right? I, find, I don't know why, I just find this funny. The FBI found that the Pacific Mall was one of the most notorious counterfeit traffickers in the world. <laughs> like, not North America, in the world. In 20, 2008, three malls in this area, two in Markham, uh, had raids, and uh, 200,000 counterfeit DVDs were seized. That is, that is a lot of counterfeit things. That, that is not a small number. No one, probably useless now because no one or few people really use DVDs with streaming, but counterfeits are, you know, appealing because you want, we want the real thing. We want quality things. We want brand name things. We want exclusive things. Counterfeits are appealing because they're cheaper. They're cheaper in price, but... They're also cheaper in quality. Uh, they don't last long. 
And if people notice that it's not the real thing, they notice. Counterfeits can never supplement for the real thing. Zacchaeus bought into a counterfeit. Counterfeit dignity. He looked for it in his wealth, but it became the basis of his shame. And many of us have also bought into counterfeits, thinking they would be the basis for our dignity, but actually becoming a black hole that sucks out our self-esteem and fills us with shame. I can be subject to this too. A lot of people look for the dignity in their work. They look for it in parenting. They look for it in a relationship. They look for it in athletics. And some of us excel at these things. And some of us get to this place where for a little bit it is fulfilling. But often when we excel at these things, our worthiness that we feel in these things can come at the cost of the people we had to step over to get to the top. Some of us want to feel dignified in these things, but we don't actually attain. We don't get to the level of parenting that we want. We don't get to the level of academics we want. We are so, we're dissatisfied with the way that we look at ourselves in the mirror. And because we can't get to the top, we're left empty, we're left despairing. Look at Zacchaeus and find hope. Look at Zacchaeus and find peace. Look at Zacchaeus and like him, you can be radically transformed. When he received the kindness of Jesus, he finally found the thing that money couldn't buy him. He finally found dignity. He finally found joy. He gave up money as a counterfeit savior and he was radically transformed when Christ became his savior. Remember those questions? Remember the, what were those three questions that we're all asking? Uh, why are we here? The purpose for our life. Um, what's right from wrong? Uh, the morality woven through our life. Who gets a say? The authority in our life. When Zacchaeus saw Jesus, all of the counterfeits melted away, and these questions completely changed. And he found New answers that completely reoriented his thoughts about himself, his thoughts about God, his thoughts about others, and it gave him the hope and the joy and the dignity that he couldn't find from anywhere else. Why was he here? His life was about gaining for himself at the cost of others. But the kindness of Jesus transformed the purpose of his life, giving for others at the cost of himself. What's right from wrong? It's normal for tax collectors to steal. Everyone does it. And maybe those are the same basis that you justify the things that you know are wrong. It's normal. Everyone does it. But the kindness of Jesus finally gave him clarity. He could no longer justify the injustice woven into her sense of right and wrong after he was radically changed by the kindness of Jesus, when he was accepted, even in his wrong, he realized he needed to walk in the right way. Why was he here? What's right from wrong? Who gets a say? Zacchaeus found a better authority in his life. If people didn't pay his taxes, you know who he had behind him? Some Roman soldiers. You know who he, had, he swore his allegiance to? The Caesars of Rome. 
He had strength of authority behind him to do what he wanted. But then comes a different Lord. Not one of military might and strength, but one of meekness and kindness and love. That is authority worth trusting. That is authority worth giving up my way for. The kindness of Jesus changed the allegiance of Zacchaeus. Rome was not Lord anymore. The way of the world was not Lord anymore. His independence was not his master anymore. Jesus was Lord. Is he yours? This type of radical transformation is way more that religion can offer. It's what the crowds wanted. They just wanted to be comfortable with Jesus until he, they made him, he made them cringy, and then when they became uncomfortable, they distanced themselves. If that's what you want for Jesus, you're not going to get what your soul craves and longs for. Mere religion and philosophy really is only about self-help and personal betterment. Christ wants more for you than just more for you. Jesus wants to change you from the heart so that the purpose of your life, the morality through your life, and the authority of your life is based on his kindness and his love and his righteousness. And when you really receive it, yes, our lives have hope and receive better, but it's not just about you. Like Zacchaeus, what changed in his life didn't just radically transform him, it radically transformed others around him as well. And that's what Christ wants to do in you. Not just put light and heat in your heart, but light a fire in your heart that gives light and heat to others around you. But if you only want Jesus for your own self, you'll never find Jesus for who he is. If you want Jesus as he is, then you must be brought to a decision today. Are you going to keep counting? Are you going to keep counting on your counterfeit saviors? Or are you going to finally and fully trust Christ as the only savior? That's a big choice. And it comes with some significant implications. Making that choice means that if Christ is Lord and I'm not, if Christ is Lord and not the culture I live in, that means a significant lack of control because I don't have authority over my life anymore. I don't determine what's right and wrong in my life anymore. I have a new purpose that I don't define anymore. It also means a significant lack of uncertainty because following Jesus means following Jesus and you don't know where he's going to lead you today or tomorrow or what he might bring upon your path. But you need to decide. Are you going to keep counting on your counterfeit saviors? Or will you receive the joy and dignity and acceptance that comes from receiving Christ as your only savior? It's the kindness of Jesus that motivated Zacchaeus to go all in. It's the kindness of Zacchaeus that motivated him And that kindness is known by another name. Grace. For by grace you have been saved 
through faith. And it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that none may boast. The grace of Jesus is perplexingly scandalous. It reaches out to those who seem out of reach. It looks towards those who are overlooked. The grace of Jesus is radically transformative, completely reorienting your purpose in life, your sense of right and wrong. Who gets a say? But it allows you to find joy and dignity and belonging that Nothing else can satisfy in this world. And it brings us to the answer to our question, what is Jesus all about? Grace proves that Jesus is for the lost. Jesus answers it with his own words. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Even when it feels like everyone is against you, grace proves that Jesus is for you. He is not against the shame filled. He is for their dignity. He is not against the alienated. He is for their acceptance. He's not against your happiness. He's for your joy. He's so for you that he suffered the sin and the shame that empties you of all that your soul desires and empties you of all of your belonging and acceptance. He suffered it for you when he suffered on the cross. He doesn't just accept you as you are. He suffered in your place. So if we're going to be able to find this, we need to first admit that all these counterfeit gods have made us lost. And when we realize we're lost, that's when the Son of Man will come and find us. We can only be found by the dignifying, accepting, joy-filling grace of Jesus when we first recognize how lost we are. But grace proves that Jesus is for a lost sinner like me. And when I realize that I've gone astray, that's when I know I can be found. That's where I can find dignity. That's where I can belong. That's where I can find joy. And when it's when I'm in that place where I know that my own way has led me astray, that's where with sincerity and peace and hope that I can sincerely sing those words that we know so well. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind but now i see twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the hour i first believed believe now and you'll find that grace father in heaven thank you for the radically transformative perplexingly scandalous grace of jesus christ Father, would you supply us with that dignity that our souls desire, with that acceptance that we are craving, with that joy that feels so beyond grasp. Thank you that you do it at the cross of Christ. Thank you that Jesus suffered our sin and shame. Thank you that Jesus accepted us as we are. And thank you that our lives can be agents of good for others. You can completely reorient us so that we love you and love who you love and what we love. Father, thank you for your grace. Would our lives be marked by it? In Jesus' name, amen.